Hi, this is Gordon Russell, host of The Neutral Ground, the New Orleans Advocate's weekly podcast on the stories behind some of the stories that are making waves in South Louisiana this week. Thanks to our sponsors, Gardner Realtors, and thank you for joining us. Hi, welcome to today's episode of The Neutral Ground. Uh, Today we'll be talking to Stephanie Grace, our political columnist, about Senator John Kennedy's surprising decision, or at least surprising to some of us, decision not to run for governor. Uh, Feynman Roberts, a reporter covering Jefferson Parish, will come by to talk about the U.S. Supreme Court's recent decision on the dusky gopher frog and its ability to be protected on a uh, spot of land in St. Tammany Parish. And last, we'll talk to reporter uh, Sarah Pagones about the federal investigation into former St. Tammany Parish Jack Strain, in which the sheriff seems to be a target, uh, but has not yet been charged. First, uh, with a, first up is Stephanie. Stephanie, uh, well, let's go right to the cut right to the chase. Were you surprised by the news that John Kennedy will not be running for governor next year? Not entirely, I'll say. And I haven't really had much to go on other than my kind of gut feeling for a lot of this time. And it's that um, I think he's enjoying what he's doing now. And he didn't seem to me like someone who really wanted the job. He wanted to talk about having the job. He loves attacking John Bell Edwards. Um, Back when he was treasurer, he would attack John Bell Edwards. He would attack Bobby Jindal. But it's different actually being the guy. And, um, but doesn't, if I can interject, doesn't running against him give you an opportunity to attack him over and over and over? But what if you win? <laughs> what if you're the dog that catches the car and <laughs> well. then they're attacking you? Um, and I don't know that he'd mind that, but really when you think about his career, he has been in the Senate only two years. He tried to run for the Senate twice before, once as a Republican, once as a Democrat way back when in 2004. That's a hard thing to do, to ask voters to send you to the Senate for a six-year term and then turn around in two years and say, hey, I want a different job. And by the way, I'm willing to give up my seniority. I'm willing to I, – I, I haven't even done that much for you as a senator yet, but right. I'm running for something else. I think that maybe is a little bit of a hard sell. And and one more thing I would add is I think – I think John Bell Edwards is in very good shape for re-election, really against anyone, even though he is a Democrat in a Republican state. And there's been this kind of idea in official kind of professional Republican circles for a long time that his election was kind of an aberration, kind of a mistake that he ran against David Vitter, who was flawed and he got lucky. The stars aligned. The stars aligned just right. And, you know, he did get lucky, but he also was very good. He ran a very good campaign and... I don't think he's lost much support in office. Mm-hmm. I think he's probably gained some. Right. I mean, his polling numbers seem pretty good. But, I mean, I'll confess I was pretty surprised by this. I mean, we had a lot of office talk about mm-hmm. what was going to happen. But it seemed to me, I guess in part, what I'm still trying to understand is why the drama leading to this. You know, John Kennedy announces that he's going to make this announcement sometime in the future. And then on Friday, he says, I'm going to announce it on Monday. And the whole thing seemed to be leading to this big reveal that I'm running. And then if I can just interject one more thing, I mean, Jeff Landry, the attorney general who was pushing to get a prominent Republican in the race that we could all get behind, possibly Jeff Landry, um, he had taken himself out of the race recently mm-hmm. and sort of promised that there was going to be a big name getting in, which seemed to be pointing to Kennedy. Um, so what do you make of all that? Um, all true. I, I think what I make is that maybe Kennedy doesn't behave the way other politicians do. Maybe 
maybe he really was undecided. Maybe he really liked the idea more from further out than from close in. He doesn't always communicate that well with fellow Republicans. One of one thing that's happened is that there is another Republican running named Eddie Rispone. He's a Baton Rouge businessman with the support of Lane Grigsby, who's a very prominent political donor mm-hmm. on the Republican side. And Rispone, of course, has a lot of his own money that he's Correct. willing to spend. And that right there shows you that he doesn't have the Republican Party all behind him. And in fact, Lane Grigsby went public with Mark Ballard, our colleague, saying some pretty harsh things about John Kennedy, the kind of things that he would not normally say about a Republican if he if this really were just a party thing. Right. Um, and, and Mark's story also noted that a no- number of other prominent Republican donors were correct. supporting John Bell Edwards, which was sort of surprising. It is. And except maybe it's not surprising if you take a step back and you say, in four years, Republicans will have an open shot. There's Eight years, there are some young Republicans coming up. John Kennedy will still be out there. Steve Scalise will still be out there. All these other people who could run, you know, maybe give him another four years and then. Well, true. And I don't, I mean, in some ways, uh, John Bell Edwards has probably given these guys a lot to like. I mean, the state's been relatively stable. There's mm-hmm. been a lot of special sessions, but they've, they've passed right. a sort of stable tax plan that relies heavily on sales taxes, which I think was the, the Republican Republicans preference. He would have preferred income tax. Right. Now, a lot of Republicans in the legislature voted for that and yet still attacked John Bell. So in that way, he's kind of useful to them. He right. They get to act like anti-taxers, even though in the end, there was a lot of fighting. It took way too long, but they really did do it together because right. they had to. So now let's look at where this um, leaves us now in terms of, uh, I was wondering if there's any opening now for Jeff Landry to get back in the race because he sort of said he was running for re-election on the premise of this other big name is getting into the race. But it's also possible that he just wanted some political cover and he didn't really want to take this race on. Do you think there's any chance he gets back in? Well, I think it's very high risk for him to do that. And that's because in addition to the governor's race on the ballot, the attorney general's race is on the ballot next year. So if he wants to run for governor, he can't run for election. He could be out. This could be a career ender for him it if he could. lost. And again, think about it. It was a career ender for David Vitter to lose to John Bell Edwards. Right. Do you want to be the next David Vitter, the next Republican who can't beat a Democrat right. in the state in a very high profile race? Right. It's dangerous. It's risky. So and then we have Ralph, uh, Ralph Abraham, the congressman from the Monroe area, who's saying he's leaning towards running. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, Sharon Hewitt, the state senator from the Slidell area, who's still publicly mulling a run. Right. Those are two people who... I guess, have a bit of a regional profile, but they would start out as kind of long shots, I guess. They would. And you have to say that it is possible for a long shot to catch fire. That has happened before. Mike Foster was a wealthy businessman who was also in the legislature. John Bell Edwards was only in the legislature. He was not very high profile. And he was a Democrat. And he was a Democrat. I mean, don't you figure stuff that Republicans start off or a Republican starts off with 40, if there were just one in the race, starts off with 40 or 45%. Or in this case, maybe high 30s, yeah. I would say, because, you know, there is a group that will vote for a Republican, period. If this were only about Republican versus Democrat, David Vitter would be governor. There are a lot of people we found out in that 2015 race who normally vote Republican who were willing to give John Bell Edwards a look. So then the question is, did they change their minds? Right, right. And I think, again, he he said at the beginning, he inoculated himself a little bit about charges that he could be a social liberal because he was very firm being pro-gun and anti-abortion. He stuck to that. Right. 
Uh, again, when he has raised taxes, he's done it with the Republicans. He's done some things, expanded Medicaid, which I think do cross party lines. It helps hospitals. It helps rural hospitals right. in addition to just Democrats in New Orleans. Right. Um, and I think he also has been kind of a very steady hand in disasters and yeah. times of distress. People like him. They feel like he is compassionate, but also in control. And maybe it's the military background. Maybe it's just his kind of demeanor. His barren, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just sort of shocking to me in a way that the Republicans may not field a major challenger to this guy who won in what was widely considered a fluke election. Right. That's just sort of hard but a decisive my head fluke. Around. Remember it that. It was decisive, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, again, as you said before, yeah. partly because in many analysts view it was because david vitter was such a flawed candidate right. and they don't have that problem this and time. they also had a big fight among republicans right. in the primary which we which, may have this time but maybe among lesser correct. lesser known republicans and we just really don't have a history of other than buddy romer we don't have a history of one-term governors losing running for election right. losing kathleen blanco of course did not run for re-election right governors pretty much get re-elected in the state right it's interesting um, I wanted to play a few, uh, as you mentioned, John Kennedy seems to be enjoying Washington, and I wanted to play a few of his greatest hits. Our country was founded by geniuses, but it was it's being run by idiots. Bad as this place looks from the outside, you ought to see it from the inside. I guess what I want is a, co- a cross between Socrates and Dirty Harry, and uh, I believe you just might be that person. I mean, I'd like to go back to America. But I'm stuck in Washington, D.C., and I'm staying here, and we're going to get this done. That last one, I guess, was kind of the most apropos of all. He is uh, stuck in Washington for now. Um, Just a last thing about him. He As you said, he seems to be really enjoying this role as the kind of comic relief of the Senate. Mm -hmm. Or what, What do you make of all that? I make that he is entertaining, and he's willing to play that role. He certainly does not... Reporters don't have to chase him, from what I understand up there. Um, he goes on he most networks when asked, including MSNBC, not just Fox. It's interesting when there were some super PAC ads that were starting to pop up on the Internet before he made his announcement attacking him from people supporting John Bell Edwards. And they really honed in on this. They said they called him Senator Soundbite. They said he has been on all of these talk shows, but he hasn't passed any legislation. It actually could have been a liability, I think, back here. And then I think there's the question of how much it, how it wears over time. Right. Whether people at some point want something else. Okay. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, uh, so big news. And uh, we'll be watching this race, obviously, to see who else might get in. but it looks like we could have a race where the uh, Democratic governor, John Bell Edwards, is the favorite. Imagine that. Hey, a Republican just won re-election in Massachusetts. It can happen. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for joining me, Steph. Thank you. All right. Up next is Feynman Roberts, who covers Jefferson Parish uh, for The Advocate. Feynman, thanks for coming by today. Thanks for having me, Gordon. Sure. So it's not every day that the U.S. Supreme Court takes up a local case, but they did so recently, ruling unanimously that the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeal based in New Orleans must reconsider a ruling in a major case that pits property rights against an obscure amphibian known as the Dusky Gopher Frog. Very obscure. And more broadly, pits property rights against the Endangered Species Act. 
Um, Feynman, can you walk us through the basics? Is this a victory for frogs or for pro- property owners? More than anything, it's a victory for the property owners who, because the Supreme Court overturned the earlier court's ruling, the earlier courts are the lower courts rather, had allowed the Fish and Wildlife Service to designate 1,500 acres of land in St. Tammany Parish, where no frogs live, incidentally, um, as critical habitat for those frogs. And And, and just to interrupt, that's a crucial part of the ruling, is that no frogs actually live on that property now, correct? Right. Uh, Justice Roberts writing for the unanimous decision. We should be clear here that unanimous means 8-0 in this case. Uh, Justice Kavanaugh was not seated when the case was heard on October the 1st. Um, but writing for in the decision, uh, Justice Roberts said that habitat, critical habitat is a subset of habitat. He instructed the lower court to make sure they had clearly defined habitat, which they had not done in their earlier rulings. So this was kind of a grammatical thing in a way. He's saying critical habitat, critical modifies habitat. And for something to be a habitat, the animal has to actually live there. Right. That cer- certainly seems to be what he's implying there. And I mean, he, he got broken down grammatically in the ruling saying that nouns might or adjectives modify <laughs> nouns, which was helpful. And we thank the justice for clarifying that up for us. But in another way, this is a way for the court to rule unanimously and dodge the bigger question that was being asked here, which is whether the federal government was overreaching mm-hmm. in its designation of critical habitat. So broadly speaking, again, the, the combatants here, the Fish and Wildlife Service, which ruled that this was sort of potential habitat for the right. frogs and that therefore could not be developed or that it had to be conserved, correct? Right. A little bit of history. The dusky gopher frog is extremely endangered. There's only, or critically endangered, however the terminology goes, there's only about 100 of them left in the wild, and they're confined to Mississippi. They did once live in Louisiana, but they haven't in decades. The last reported documenting of one of them being local was in the 1960s. And uh, and yet in 2012, the Fish and Wildlife Service ruled that if the frog was going to make a comeback, this property, this 1,500-acre tract in St. Tammany Parish, could be essential to its its comeback. It's the sort of place where the frog would like to live. Exactly right. Now, the landowners argued that it it is not appropriate for them. It does contain the wrong kind of forest, for instance, but it does have certain, uh, the classic term here is ephemeral ponds, you Uh know, sort of temporary ponds that the frogs require to breed. And about how far is this property from where the frog has been encountered? Do we, is is it, you know, a few miles, or would the frog have to sort of uh, how how far the frog would have to be carried in? in <laughs> yeah. a, uh, no, I, I'm not exactly sure the mileage. Uh, it's a little ways, but it's though. not adjacent. No, to where the no, frog no, no, goes. no, absolutely okay. not. Okay. It's miles and miles away. Yeah. Okay, um, maybe we can listen for a minute to the sound of the uh, gopher frog just to get a little. bit. It does have kind of a distinctive call. Uh, That was the sound of the dusky gopher frog mating. So I, I liked the thing at the end where he kind of sounds like he's laughing. <laughs> Very distinctive. Um, so I guess where does this leave us now? I mean, I mean, for the it means these uh, the court, the lower court in New Orleans is going to have to take this up again. But 
that's one question, I guess. And the other question I have is, what about uh, what does this mean for the Endangered Species Act? I mean, it doesn't completely gut it, correct? But it has put some limitations on it. That's correct. And Justice Roberts again leading the court on sort of walking a fine line here. Um, it does leave the ruling does leave actually the current protections for the frog in place, but it instructs the lower court, the Fifth Circuit in this case to re-examine uh, two questions. Number one, the definition of habitat, which we mentioned earlier. And number two, whether the Fish and Wildlife Service designation of this is critical habitat was overly, overly burdensome mm-hmm. on the landowner. So now the Fifth Circuit will take uh, take briefs on that uh, on that very question and, and presumably take it up again at some point and rule. And you can expect that possibly that may result in more appeals to the Supreme Court. It's important to note here, too, that the land in question, uh, though the landowner complained uh, about the massive amount of uh, economic loss, about 33 or $34 million he could be suffering by not being allowed to develop this land, the land is under long-term timber lease until the 2040s. So, Right now, at least, it's not in danger of being imminently developed if these protections are removed. And there was no reason that they couldn't continue taking down the timber. Right. Even that wasn't barred by the Fish and Wildlife Service. Right, that's right. And, and, and so, in fact, I think they said it would be better for the frog if there was a little, if the forest wasn't quite so dense, was, if I was remember thinned right. out. Yeah, yeah, I think, and I think you'd have to switch species of pine tree <laughs> on the land to make it more suitable for the frog, which would make it less profitable for the timber company. Gotcha. Well, it's an interesting case. Um, We'll keep watching for developments in that. And uh, here's to the dusky gopher frog and his chances. Here's to his chances. Yeah, long live the dusky gopher frog. All right. Thanks for coming by, Feynman. Thank you, Gordon. Hey, Sarah. It's Gordon. Hey, Gordon. Sarah is the advocate's... North Shore Bureau Chief. Uh, she's joining us by phone today. I appreciate you taking a minute, Sarah. Sure. So some big news in the uh, St. Tammany, in the public corruption front last week. Uh, we had uh, two former high-ranking officials from the St. Tammany Parish Sheriff's Office charged in probably one of the bigger public corruption cases we've seen around here in a couple of years. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about who these guys are and, and where this is all headed, Sarah? Yeah, sure. Um, David Hansen Sr., who's also known as Doc Hansen, is the head of the canine division for the sheriff's office, an old family friend of, of um, former mayor Jack Strain. Um, Skip Keen is a, was also a high-ranking guy. He was over um, maintenance, however, and he is a childhood friend of the former sheriff. Um, they belong to the same hunting club. Um, This group, people went on vacations together. They were extremely tight, and they were definitely part of his inner circle. Okay, and these guys are charged with, uh, they were running, they were secretly running a work release program that the sheriff privatized. Is that fair to say? I'd say that they were the, yeah, they were the um, silent partners. I don't really think any of them were running it. I think the person running it is is uh, identified in the document as person three, um, who was uh, a guy named Alan Tingle, who was actually operating it and paying for it. The rest of them, I think, were, their role was to be the sort of silent owners. And the people that actually are listed as the owners were their adult children. In the case of Doc Hansen, it was Brandy Hansen. And um, in the case of Skip Keene, it was his son, Jarrett Keene, who was 21 at the time that um, this thing was opened. 
And and so what the feds are alleging here is that these the children were really silent partner the parents were really silent partners yeah. the children were the out front partners but none of the family members was really doing anything and in fact it was Alan Tingle who is running this work release program but the majority of the benefit was going to the Hansen and uh, Keene family members. That's certainly how it looks, and that's what seems to be reflected in the very detailed and specific bill of information that came out from the U.S. Attorney's Office last week. And that bill seems like a real kind of shot across the bow at the former sheriff, Jack Strain, in that he's he's not identified by name there in keeping with Justice Department policies where they don't like to name people who have yet, or they don't like to accuse people of crimes by name who have yet to be charged, I guess. But they, they identify him as public official one, is that right? And they um, yes, public official A, I believe. Okay. Um, and he and the the bill of information refers to the sheriff. Uh-huh. So it's you know it's, it's very there was no him. other sheriff that that they worked for other and, than Jack Strain. And and of course they you know we should maybe mention they they directly do accuse him of crimes here. They just don't accuse him by name, but they say that That's he right. took regular payoffs from these guys. Yeah, have a thousand dollars, and it's. Not not, what it does not say is exactly what how much money he his cut was uh, his alleged cut it it tells how much brandy and Jarrett got which was um, about 1.2 million dollars over a slightly less than three-year period and they would give a portion of that we don't know exactly how large but seemed like a maybe the lion's share to their fathers who then would give a portion to the sheriff for the privilege of being able to have the business. Right. It was a very detailed bill of information, but it was a little bit vague in how much strain allegedly got. But it said he got regular installments, cash installments of more than $1,000, but it didn't say how many of these that he allegedly got or anything like that. That's that's right. It doesn't it doesn't spell that out. So in the folks we've talked to, it seems it seems clear, more than clear, that they're they're planning to charge strain. Is that fair? I mean, these guys were both charged in yeah. bills of information, which is a sign that they're cooperating. I guess we'll find out when they plead on the 11th of December. Um, you know, it's widely anticipated they'll plead guilty. And, uh, you know, what, what people who know things about this say is that when the feds put together such a detailed and specific charge, they're sending a message to public official A that there's a, a very small window to come and um, make a deal right, itself. Right. Um, you know, it's it's been widely talked about for several months now that, that some of these folks had been talking to the feds and had maybe even made a deal with them. Um, the, the common wisdom was if, if these two, especially Skip Keene, who he's very close to, rolled on the sheriff, that that would probably be a, a pretty... Um, drastic move for him right sheriff and of course there was a civil case that we wrote about in which uh both these defendants and and a couple other members of the hansen family had sued the new sheriff randy smith over wrongful termination and then had recently sought to have this suit stayed over their feeling that they were about to be indicted in a criminal case so in, in that sense this wasn't a complete shock i guess no not at all um it's it's um it's kind of been this has been talked about for a long time I, and and in march of of this past year there was a, um, some subpoenas served on the sheriff's office that clearly were were um, angling towards money that had been spent on renovating the facility Keep in mind, almost half a million dollars was spent in public money renovating the Slidell area workforce um, place before they 
privatized it. So there were all kinds of records that were sought on what was spent on that and right. and also contracts and deals. So and and a lot of these names were in those subpoenas. So it's it's a it t- has taken a while um to come to this point but but it finally did um result in an actual um charge. And some of this they, we've been reporting on these work release programs and allegations of you know, some cronyism in these programs for a long time. You and Katie Moore over at WWL-TV first began writing about this back five years ago. Let's yeah. listen to what uh, Sheriff, then Sheriff Strain said at the time. I have no personal interest, in, uh, and I'm not going to do a Bill Clinton. I'm telling you that I have no interest. No family member of mine has an interest. No relative in any capacity has an interest. No in-laws or outlaws or anything else. This is a very straightforward business. So he uh, says no, no in-laws and no outlaws. I guess technically that's true, but uh, maybe those are words that will come back to haunt him a little. Well, it's certainly reflected in the Bill of Information that a nephew of the sheriff was given a job there that was described as a no-show job for $30,000 a year. And uh, there was some indication that his son, uh, Rhett Strain, also received some money, $4,000, I believe it said. So um, those are probably what I would call relatives. Right. (laughs) Um, Sarah, you wrote a story uh, last weekend uh, looking, I mean, this is sort of the third high-profile public corruption case in St. Tammany Parish uh, in the last few years. We had the coroner go to prison. We have uh, the former district attorney, Walter Reed, who's awaiting, uh, he's, he's awaiting, uh, he's ready to serve a prison sentence, although he has an appeal pending and he's been allowed to stay out. Um, this isn't really what the North Shore is known for. It's, it's supposed to be a place to go to get away from crime and, and also to supposedly have well-run government, I thought. What, what are folks up there saying about all this? Well, I think that there's, you know, kind of two schools of thought. One is, oh, it's just, it's it's always corrupt. We see corruption everywhere, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. That's maybe the pessimistic view. The more optimistic view is, well, look, we we had some problems, but it got ferreted out, and um, it's being dealt with severely. And then, you know, maybe a middle ground um, is, was suggested by Rafael Goyeneche of the Metropolitan Metropolitan Crime Commission, that when you have a problem is when you think you're above it and you're complacent about it. Right. Um, I, I don't think anybody's complacent now. I, th- I think that there's a lot of eyes on. Um, and, you know, it it's um, it's played out in people not getting reelected. I mean, even before um, even before all this happened, Jack Strain got 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 booted out of office right. by, um, you know, a challenger. and he Before was there were any incumbent. corruption allegations yeah, against him. Although so there was, as we talked about, there was some reporting by us yeah. and, and others, including Channel 4, about some some deals that maybe didn't pass the smell test. Yeah, up there. there was a, the, the initial work release program was, was one that was started in Covington by cronies, again, of, of um, Jack Strain. And that was a private enterprise that uh, had a rash of problems, a bunch of escapes, and eventually, after some pretty um, intense reporting about those problems, he did close it down. But in the interim, before, before he closed that one down, he had opened the one, he had taken one that had long been operated by the agency as an in-house program, and he had converted it to, to private. Now, now it would seem to, um, to help maybe not just um, his friends, but maybe himself as well. Right. 
Well, we'll be watching this case closely to see what uh, what the next chapter is. Um, thanks a lot for taking a minute to talk to me, Sarah. Oh, sure. Anytime. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. The Neutral Ground is brought to you by Gardner Realtors with music provided by David Bodie. We welcome your feedback and your ideas for future shows. Email me at grussell, with two S's and two L's, at theadvocate.com or call me at 504-636-7437. Hope to see you next week.